So we're going to start in Matthew 13. And just right away, I think often we kind of get to the different main points kind of throughout um, the sermon. But right away, I just want to say that there's two things that as I was going through these verses, we're going to go through nine verses today, if I counted right. Eight? Nine? I don't know. It doesn't matter. As I was going through these, there's two big things that kept standing out. Because two things that I was like, it's right here. I'm going to go ahead and give you these two things. One, that the gospel is worth absolutely everything. The gospel is worth surrendering absolutely everything. And two, if the gospel is worth surrendering everything else that we could possibly surrender, then it is our responsibility to tell that gospel to others. And we see both of those things right here. So we're going to start out with Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It's two parables. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So I just want to give a little like historical, I guess, context in this. We've talked about how the parables were, were told in ways that people would understand them and be able to re- relate to them in their own lives. And these two, it's like, well, I don't know, how, how, do, how do we relate to these two? Because it doesn't make quite as much sense to us as it would to, especially the Jews of this day. And this time, they didn't have banks. They didn't have like safe deposit boxes. They didn't have all these things where you would go and you would store your valuables, your hidden precious things. So often what's common was they would go and they would hide their things in a field because when people would, when different countries would invade, when different countries would come in to attack or thieves, what they would do is they would raid the precious jewels or pearls or whatever these people had that was very precious to them. So it was was very common for them to go hide these things in a field, to go dig a hole, bury them so they'd be safe. Often people, when, if companies did it, or companies, huh, if countries did invade the country, and t- often they would take captives, they'd take these families captive, whatever, and that, that treasure potentially lay hidden in the field because no one knew where it was for years and years, or even generations of time before someone else would come across that. Also, the pearls. Pearls were often a sign of great wealth. That is how a king or a queen would adorn themselves to say that, look how rich I am. Look how many things that I have. Something kind of gross that I found. There was often, if kings or queens were extremely wealthy, what they would do, they'd actually, at a banquet, at a feast, they would grind up a pearl and put it in their wine to show how little worth that pearl had to them because they had so much. That, that, that one little pearl didn't really matter because they had so much. So in front of their guests, they would grind up a pearl Kind of odd. But that's how they would do, that's what they would do to show how much value, how much wealth they had. And these, these two parables, they vary a little bit in terms of the way that they're told. But there's one constant that stays the same in both of these pearls. And it's that the value of the pearl, the value of the treasure. Because in both instances, 
they went and sold everything they had, got rid of everything else to get the pearl or to get the treasure. That, was, that, that is what happened in both of these parables. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was a long time ago. It was when you're in Matthew 7. Um, I actually don't know when it was, but I, that's the one time I preached on one verse. It was Matthew 7, 6. We talked about, it says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Don't throw your pearls before swine. And we talked about that because the pearl, the gospel, this, this kingdom of heaven, this hope is of such great value that that influences how we take that to people, where we go and spend our time sharing the gospel. And I went back and, unfortunately, I didn't all remember all this, but I went back and pulled up my notes for that sermon. And it was made a couple different points with that one verse. Was that it's not our job to condemn the world as sinful, but it is our job, it's our responsibility to proclaim the gospel to people. And that there are times when, since we talked about two weeks ago, that God is the one that opens hearts to believe. So there's times when we might need to spend our time, we've shared with this person over and over and over again. There might be times when we go on and share with someone else. Because let the God open their heart. We can share with them time and time again. But until God opens their eyes, opens their hearts to see, we just do it over and over. And that's, there's a lot, I'm not going to recap the whole thing, there's a lot in that. But the one consistent thing we see, and I, and I went through these parables during that, that Sunday, because you see that the pearl, the treasure, this gospel is worth absolutely everything. It's worth getting rid of all that, because it's worth more than, for the, for the guy that had the merchant, it was worth more than all the other pearls he already had. The guy that found the treasure in a field. It was worth more than anything that he had. They both got rid of it all for the sake of that pearl, for the sake of that treasure. And I mentioned there's a lot of similarities between these, but there's also differences in the, in the way that they come across this. So I want to kind of talk about these two different types. What you see is that first, this first type of person the guy looking for the tr- the guy that found the treasure was not searching for the gospel. He was not searching for that treasure, but he found it, saw the worth, and sold everything to buy it. It doesn't say that he was out. He was a pirate searching for treasure. It says that he found a treasure in a field. Which, if you think about the historical, this could have been someone who was just walking through an unowned field, through a field one day noticed something sticking out of the ground, found their treasure, and then did everything he could to buy the entire field. doesn't say he was looking for it. And I was like, okay, so how does, how does, how does this relate? How does this work? And there are some people that are far from looking for the gospel that are dramatically, radically changed by it. And I, what better example than Paul? Paul was probably the farthest person from looking for the gospel. He was not looking to be changed. He was not looking for Jesus. He was looking for quite the opposite. Paul was going to try to kill Christians, try to kill those that were following Jesus when Jesus called him out. And you see Paul's life after that throughout the entire New Testament. 
the way that he sells everything, the way he is, doesn't care about anything else, doesn't care about his heritage, doesn't care about the way that he was brought up, but he is 100% all in, so to speak. And I think you see this. You want to go ahead and flip to Philippians 3. It'll be up on the screen, but um, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. This is a very, it's a verse that you, you see Paul's heart. You see how much Paul sees the value of having Jesus. That he says he counts it all, the rest of it all is rubbish. So I'm going to read Philippians 3, 7 through 11. This is Paul. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may suffer his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is someone who sees the worth of the gospel. This is someone who sees the value of the gospel, of the pearl that's talked about in the parable, or the treasure. He says, everything else that I could possibly have in this world is rubbish. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the good things. It doesn't matter that I was a Pharisee above Pharisees. It doesn't matter that I was this or I was that or that I had this. You see, Paul endured a ton throughout his entire ministry, but that he saw the worth of the gospel. But you see the way that Paul teaches this, the way that he continues to say things like this, he knows that you, you don't have both. We've talked about this before. You don't hold on to the world, hold on to Jesus. You can't hold on to both. And Paul says, I've counted as a loss. Everything else is rubbish. It doesn't matter. Because he knows that what he's holding on to, that he knows that holding on to Jesus doesn't even compare to anything else he could possibly hold on to. The second type of person, the guy that found the pearl. His situation is a little bit different because it says that he is searching for a pearl of great value in search of fine pearls. So that was his job. His job was to go and to find pearls. He probably had a collection of things that he would go and buy pearls and sell them, and that's how he, he made a living. But when he found the pearl, the one whose value far exceeded anything that he currently had. He sold everything he had, all the other pearls, everything else, to go and buy the one pearl of great value. And I think you see this play itself out in people that they try so hard to find truth. Various religions, various things, various stuff. They're looking for truth. They're looking for that, that which can satisfy that was his job. That was his livelihood, was finding those kind of things. But when he found the one 
the rest of it didn't matter. So he was looking for truth. He was searching for truth. He just had not found the one. And I think it's very tempting to us to to see in these verses, I had a lot of people, or a lot of things I was reading, they're questioning, this, this implies that the gospel can be bought, that salvation can be bought with these verses, because it says they sold everything to buy the field. He sold everything to buy that pearl. And there was a lot of confusion around this, and I think that's, you put that in the rest of Scripture, there's no way that lines up. But also, I think that in a, in a sense, though, salvation, in a sense, fully receiving the gospel does come at a cost. But it's not something we buy. It comes at a cost of holding on to anything else more than Jesus, because you can't. There's nothing else you can hold on to more than Jesus and still have Jesus. But that, that requires surrender of all those things, surrender of the worldly things. So in a sense, there's a cost. But these are not my words. This is a quote. It says, But it must be noted that such surrender is not a human work to gain salvation, but part of the saving work of God brought about in the soul by the Holy Spirit. We don't muster up this surrender in order to be saved. But when we're saved, when, when we're fully saved and realize the worth of the gospel, surrender is the response. Surrender of the world, surrender of the earthly desires is the response. But that's God working in us. I want to ask a question. This is not a rhetorical question. This is also not a question you necessarily need to say out loud to me right now. But you don't need to necessarily respond out loud. But I want you to answer this. Write it down, think about it, answer it later. I want you to answer this. And please don't, don't, give, me a, don't, don't, don't give yourself a Sunday school answer. Don't say, I know this is what the answer he's looking for. Don't, don't, don't do that. Seriously think about this. It's kind of a two-part question. And I asked this back going through Matthew 7. But what is the single most important thing in your life? That's part one of the question. What is the single most important thing in your life? Don't jump to a Sunday school answer. Don't jump to an answer you think I'm looking for. Think about it. Think about it. Maybe that's a good lunch conversation. But part two is, what in your life reflects your answer to the first part of the question. What in your life reflects that? Because the most important thing in your life is going to dramatically impact the way that you live, your priorities, your desires, a lot of things. So two-part question there. What's the single most important thing in your life? And what in your life reflects that? We're going to come back to this. I'm going to go ahead and read ahead. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. 
So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, a little historical thing. Um, with this, this kind of net, I've read there's three different kinds of net the fishermen used. and um, It's actually kind of interesting. But this kind of net that he's talking about was a kind of net that would often be strung between two boats or sometimes between one boat and the shore. Be connected on both sides with weights at the bottom and they would just kind of sweep through. And based on that, the bottom of the net would drag on the floor, on the sea floor, ocean floor, whatever you want to call it. And so what it would capture, what it would catch was any number of things. All sorts of types of fish, the kinds they wanted, the kinds they didn't, debris, whatever was floating would be caught in this type of net. You're not picky at that point. But they pull it ashore and then they go through everything they have. The good fish, the bad fish, the, the debris. And here's the thing, we keep saying, Jesus keeps saying, talks about the two different kinds of people. If you think I'm being repetitive by keep saying these two types of people, I'm just going to point you back to what Jesus is saying because I'm not being repetitive, he is. But I think that's very purposeful. Bless you. But there's two types of people, good, bad. Good fish, bad fish. And something a couple weeks ago I said was, there's two types of people, those that have been saved, those that don't believe, those people that are in, those people that are out. These, there's just these, always constantly two types of people. And we said, though, there's only one difference between these two types of people. That Jesus is the only difference between the good, the bad. Jesus is the only difference between in, out, all these things. Jesus is the only difference. And I think that's really important to note here. He's talking about good fish, bad fish. Red fish, blue fish, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think that Brenna often prays I don't say anything stupid. And I think I just didn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's only two types. And if Jesus is the only difference then the only difference is made by Jesus working. Because the gospel says that there is not one good person. So the good fish there isn't because it's a good person. That's not what it's saying. Because it says we are all bad. We're all sinful. We're all ugly. We're all messed up. And all had zero chance to fix ourselves. But then, go ahead and flip to 2 Corinthians. You should hopefully have your finger there. If not, I warned you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are only made good in God's eyes because the death of Jesus. Because Jesus died, rose again, 
died for us when we could not. But that the, So when God looks at us, when God looks at those that, that are trusting in Jesus for salvation, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. If that is where your faith is, You're just as ugly, just as messed up as anyone else. You're just as sinful. But through Jesus, you've been forgiven. That's for those that, that, are, that truly trust in Jesus for salvation. And that's why we, why we continue to talk about this, because the gospel is what makes us different. The gospel is what makes believers different from unbelievers, because it says that Jesus came, provided forgiveness of sin. But Jesus is so persistent, saying there's a separation. Last week, he said there's going to be the separation, the wheat and the weeds. And this week, the separation, or the, the concentration isn't so much on the two, the evil and the righteous, living side by side. It doesn't talk too much about the fish in the ocean or fish in the sea. It talks about the separation. And this is a warning that Jesus is going to continue to give. This separation. This, there are believers and there are unbelievers. We keep, there's this thing that often is referred to. It's like about the turn and burn gospel. This gospel, that, it's like, hey, repent, turn, or you're going to hell. There are some pastors that are more known for th- using that type of language, that type of, those type of phrases. And I think that we're very quick to say that, oh, that's not very loving. We're very quick to say that's not the type of gospel that we're supposed to preach. And I don't think that's necessarily always the best way to go about things. But is that not what Jesus keeps doing? He keeps saying there's a separation. Two weeks in a row now, he has said there will be people thrown into the fiery furnace, and the place, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was from last week. This week, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Throughout the New Testament, throughout Acts, what Peter and Paul say, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. You keep saying, he keeps saying there's a separation. And Jesus is absolutely teaching about the reality of hell. And that the reality of hell is a real destination for those people that are not inwardly changed by the gospel. And that's hard. That's absolutely hard. But it's what Jesus is teaching. That people will be saved through Jesus and others will continue to reject it and be separated, be cast into hell. So it's kind of like my second question, I guess, and I kind of sort of answered it. But I want you to really think about it. Like, what is Jesus teaching about the reality of hell. What is Jesus teaching about the reality of hell?
not necessarily a fun question, but it's a reality. Verse 51, kind of wrapping up the parables here. He says, Jesus is Jesus speaking to his disciples still. He says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Not a big question at all. Have you understood all these things? Some of these things are really hard. He's gone through and explained some of them, but Jesus asked his disciples, do you understand all these things? And so I was kind of going through trying to like recap a little bit. So these are the kind of things that Jesus is asking them if they understand. With the parable of the sower, he says, do you understand that it is the gospel and the gospel alone that changes people's hearts? That God works and causes growth, that it's only the gospel that does that. Do you understand that? The parable of the weeds. Jesus is saying, do you understand the world is going to continue to have good and evil side by side? That, that's, that Satan is constantly fighting against the church, fighting against what Jesus is doing in this world. parable of the leaven and the mustard seed. Do you understand that the call is for believers, for the church, to go into the world, permeate the world like leaven, but then to also grow into something big? Do you understand the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the, this pearl of great value? Do you understand that the gospel, do you understand that this kingdom of heaven is the most precious thing we could ever have? Do you understand the value of the gospel, the value of this message? In the parable of the net, do you understand that a day is coming when there's going to be this separation, good and evil, when Jesus, when those that are saved through Jesus will be separated and there's that separation? This is the kind of thing Jesus is saying, do you understand this? And the response is yes. And then there's a word that, he, that Jesus says, which I think is huge. Going through one of my classes in seminary, they're, they're, I'm very bad at noticing specific words that mean have such great meaning. And this is one of those. They say yes, and Jesus says, therefore. Therefore means a response. It, yes, I believe this. Therefore, this is what you are to do. Therefore, this is how you are respond. Therefore, this is how you go on from here. It says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. This master of the house, this picture of the head of the household, it's often given to the, the husband in a relationship, the, this title of responsibility, of providing protection but of responsibility. And you see the going through in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, when it's talking about the responsibility of a husband in marriage 
It's a huge responsibility. That's why it's often read at weddings. It was read at my wedding. But because the responsibility is huge. I think that's kind of the thing that Jesus is saying. You're the head of the household. He's talking to the disciples. But their responsibility is that he talks about it. He brings out his treasure. The master of the house brings out his treasure. We've seen the treasure is something you value the most. The treasure is that pearl, is that treasure. If the gospel is what you value most, then you're responsible to go out with it. And this is where we're going to go to 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians 5. Go ahead and flip over there. Because if we realize the responsibility that we as a church have with the gospel, if we've been changed by the gospel, then we are responsible to take that to a world. We're responsible to take that message to the world. I know a lot of you come to the church that's right here. But for those of you who don't know, this is Christ Reconciled Church. We often say CRC, but Christ Reconciled Church. As many people call it the R. I've heard a lot of kids refer to it as the R because of the window. I asked one of them, like, do you realize there's two C's around that? They're like, oh, I just thought it was an R with two circles around it. There's two C's and an R. The R. But I think that R word is really important, that reconciled. We've been, it's been made right. But this name came from 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to read the whole passage. Not the whole passage, but we're going to go 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he's saying in Matthew. He says, you understand all this? And they said, yes. Okay, well then you are given a responsibility to go and to say, go and to preach, go and to implore people with this same message. 
Because if we treasure the gospel, if we treasure that like the man that found the treasure in the field, if we treasure that like the man who found that pearl of utmost value, then we know that we found something that we don't deserve. That there's nothing about the gospel that says you deserved this. You found this, so you deserve to have it. You're good enough, so you get it. Good for you. You found it. You worked hard enough to get it. No, that's not at all. It says the gospel is a gift, that you've been given a gift that you don't deserve, but that God saved you. That if, you, if your faith is in Jesus, that he is worth it, that he is worth surrendering absolutely everything and letting go, says that now you're an ambassador. You're going on behalf of Jesus. The message of the gospel is the only thing that changes hearts. We can tell people how sinful they are time and time again until they hear that the gospel changes them, that Jesus' Jesus' death is what provides salvation, that that is where their faith has to be, Without that message, we've got nothing. This is the responsibility that that we as the church, that those who have been saved by Jesus, that is our responsibility. Jesus is saying, if you understand this, then like as a master of the house, you have responsibility with what you're going to do with that. So I'm going to add one last question to these things that I really want you to think about. One, what is the most important thing in your life? Not the answer that we want to hear, not the answer that you think sounds good, but deep down, what is the most important thing in your life? And what in your life shows that? What in your life reflects that number one thing in your life? What is Jesus teaching? Number two, what is Jesus teaching about hell, about reality of hell? It's a scary thing, but it's a reality. And then how are we being responsible? The last question. How are we being responsible? How are we being ambassadors for Christ? Are we imploring others? Sorry if you're writing that down. It's going to be hard to get this into one sentence. How are we imploring others to be reconciled to God? If we've been changed, if we value it that much, then we have the responsibility to tell people. How are we handling that responsibility? Because if we treasure it enough, it's going to be evident in our life. Our lives are going to reflect the most important things in our life. So I want us to think about these things. What is the most important thing in your life? If from the bottom of your heart, you cannot say that you've surrendered all to Jesus and he is the soul, the only thing that is most important. If you can't say that, I'm just going to read the Bible. We implore you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. If that is, if you can't say that's the most important thing, if you can't say that, yes, I believe this, then that is my prayer for you. But if you can honestly, genuinely say that, yes, I, I treasure Jesus above all other things, how are we telling others about that? How are we going to a world that is dying, a world that is in darkness, a world that is in so desperate need of genuine truth? All over the world, there's people struggling with so many things. Outside these doors, inside these doors, there's people struggling with so many things. And yet the only thing with utmost value, the only thing that has supreme worth is this gospel that we keep talking about, is Jesus. The the song that we're singing right after this, Second Chances, so perfectly says the gospel. I pray that we would just really sing these words. Pray about the words that we're singing. Don't just, don't just repeat them. But let's genuinely sing them. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it was part of your plan to not leave it up to us to save ourselves, but that you sent your only son to make a way when there It was zero chance for us in and of ourselves. Father, thank you that you continue to draw us in. You continue to work in us when we continue to struggle, when we continue to battle. Father, continue to just show us how worthy you are of every ounce of our praise, every ounce of our worship. Father, I pray that the the gospel will be so real to us that we would treasure it so much that we would just not be able to wait for the next chance we get to, to talk to someone who may not know you and we can talk about how good you are, that we can talk about this gift that we do not deserve. Father, for those that don't believe, I just... Pray, Father, that you would just open hearts right now as we sing this song and just talks about the cross changing absolutely everything. God, just make this real to us. Cause us to respond in a way that only you can. Allow this time to be.